Welcome to Connection Church's podcast. This week, Brandon Williams begins a brand new series entitled Encounter. Over the next several weeks, Brandon will explain how to encounter Jesus through Jesus' encounters. Every one of us have moments in our lives that change us forever. What is God wanting you to do right now that will change your life forever? Well, it's awesome. I'm so excited. I'm so glad to see all of you and, and just to be here to be able to worship uh, our risen Savior, Jesus Christ, and just to be able to be a part of, of His kingdom. What an awesome privilege. I want to share a couple of things with you um, real quick. Uh, if you notice, when you sat down, there are some uh, more encounter cards in your seat. You're going to get sick of those too. But they, these are a little different than the ones we gave you the previous couple of weeks. These just have a different date on them. It just says April and May. What we're encouraging everybody to do is to take these cards. It's a very easy tool to use to invite people that maybe aren't going to church, haven't been to church in a while or something, to get, come to church. It's just our, our effort to say, hey, we'd love to have you here. And some of you, if you're here for the first time today, well, we are so excited about you being here. And um, so it's another opportunity. I, I want to tell you, I've heard um, three or four awesome testimonies this week about people who went and I gave someone an encounter card and just how they were so receptive. Like God had already been working in their lives. And I want to encourage you today that God is working in the lives of thousands of people around you right now. No lie. And all we have to do, and it makes it so much easier when we realize all we have to do is intersect them where God's already working. And begin to, to uh, come alongside what God is doing and begin to lead them further into the kingdom of God. And begin to show them maybe what that hole is, that emptiness, or maybe that longing that they're feeling is. And so this is an opportunity for you to do that. It's a way for you to uh, very easily invite somebody to come and to be a part of, of what God's doing. Not only here, but just in the community. Also, Chad mentioned it, but if you'd like to be in a small group, please sign up in the back. Um, this is crucial to, to the ministry and what we feel like the vision of Connection Church is. Um, so if you will, please, uh, please sign up for those if you're not in a small group already. All right, everybody good? Everybody ready? You look excited, look alive. I don't know if it's church or the food afterwards, but um, either way, you, you make me feel like it's church, so that makes me glad. Um, we're going to have food afterwards, as I just said. Please feel free to stay. I, I ask you to stay. We always have plenty of food. So please, if you didn't bring anything, maybe you didn't know we were having food today, please stay. We'll, we will have plenty, okay? And I say that in faith, but we will have plenty of food today. Um, speak, the, you know, and, and, and God shall, shall do it, I guess. But, but uh, we'll, we'll all eat together and have a great time. It's an t- opportunity for you to connect with some folks, maybe get to know some people that you did not know uh, before today. So I ask you to stay and, and enjoy that with us. The kids are going to have Easter egg hunts. Um, no, you guys, you can't hunt eggs, but the kids will hunt eggs, and we'll have a good time. All right, I want to... Uh, to tell you, we're starting a new series today. It's called Encounter. And, and our prayer has been and will continue to be that we will encounter the very presence of God through Jesus' encounters. That's, that's what we're, we're, we're praying for, is that as we look at the people that Jesus encountered, that we too would encounter the very presence and the reality of who Jesus is. And so that's our prayer. I want to ask you to be praying that with me, that we would see many, many people come to encounter God in a very real way. Those who maybe have never experienced the love of Jesus Christ and those who've maybe been walking with him for years and just haven't entered into the fullness of all that God has to offer us in his kingdom. So I want to encourage you as we get into this to be praying that with us and to be a part of what we're doing in that. Um, I want to read you some scriptures. Go ahead, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John 13, 22 through 30. Then we're going to Matthew 16 and Philippians 3. So I'm going to read a good little bit of scripture to you this morning. If you'll stay awake through that part, hopefully uh, you'll stay awake through the rest of it. If you don't, um, then we'll wake you up when it's time for lunch. All right, John 13, 22 through 30. This is what it says. It says, this is Jesus as he's uh, predicting the fact that he's going to be betrayed uh, into the hands of these, these people who want to kill him. It says in verse 22, his disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which one of them, it, 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 them he meant. Because he's telling them right here, he's saying, listen, one of you is going to betray me into the hands of those who want to kill me. And he says, one of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and asked, 
and, and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered him, into him. Why, what you're about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to go buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. And now let's look over in Matthew 16, verses 13 through 23. This is backing up a bit, but I want you to see this in the life of Simon Peter, one of Jesus' disciples and, and one of the apostles. It says in verse 13, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? And listen to Peter. Simon Peter, he's always the one that speaks first. Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Verse 21, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Listen to this. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke God, okay? He began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And last one, hang in there, we're almost there. Philippians chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 2. This is Paul speaking to the Philippians and trying to deal with these, these people who were coming in and trying to again enslave the Christians to this uh, Jewish legalism. And this is his response. And we're going to look at it in a little bit different way today. Verse 2, watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision. We who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. Listen, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Well, Father, thank you for today. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your word, God, how it speaks into our lives. I thank you, God, that it is living and active, that it works in our lives to speak to our hearts, to teach us, to guide us, to lead us, Father. We thank you. Lord, I just pray that today somehow you would communicate your love and your grace that somehow an, an unfathomable God who's immeasurable could be communicated through us. So God, I just pray that it would come by the working of your Holy Spirit that you would literally communicate exactly what needs to be communicated to each person here today. That you would meet them right where they are. God, I thank you for that. I thank you that your mercy and your grace are limitless, God. And that your arm is never too short to save. Father, we love you and thank you in Jesus' mighty, mighty, and awesome name. Amen. Amen. Well, today, first, the first message in this encounter series, the thing I want to talk to you about is that when we encounter Jesus, when we encounter the love of God through Jesus Christ, we begin to have a relationship with Jesus. Everything changes. Everything changes. And it changes for good. It changes for good. And we're going to look at this in a little bit um, in two different ways. But everything changes for good. 
And we got to see that, that this is what God's calling us to, is to this encounter that changes our life. Uh, everybody in here has had moments in their life when something happened, something took place, and and it changed everything. Have you not? Everybody in here. Where there, there was that brief moment, that, oh my goodness, what just happened moment that we go, wow, everything from this point on is different. Everything is going to be different from this point on. I mean, something that we all share was 9-11. I mean, you can't tell me that when you watch those buildings fly, those, those buildings fly, that would have been something to remember. But <laughs> You can't tell me when you saw those airplanes fly into those buildings that there wasn't something deep down inside of you that said everything's changed. Everything is different. Our lives are going to be different from now on. And boy, have they been different from now on. We fought two wars. We've, uh, we can't hardly get on an airplane now. You know, all of these things have happened because of that one moment when those airplanes collided with those buildings. Many of us have experienced tragedies in our life. Uh, maybe the death of a loved one that, that, that really pierced our hearts, that changed our lives um, um, forever. That we knew that after this, I will be different forever from, from now on. You know, some of us have had good things that have changed our lives forever. You think about uh, marriage, okay? Well, some of us have had good things happen when, when, when we, we enter into marriage. It has been a good thing. You know, I remember, you know, getting married to Susan and, and how awesome it was. We knew, we thought we knew each other so well, but you just never really know each other until you are actually married. And, and, and boy, did we find out that, that we had a lot to learn about each other and, and also just about marriage. But it was one of those times when, man, when we said, I do, it changed everything forever. Whether we wanted it to or not, it changed everything forever, right? And then there comes the biggest one in my life, I guess, to date, was when we had our first child. And oh boy, did it change things forever. And, and in so many good ways, and yet in so many challenging ways, it changes. I remember I was so proud before our child was born, I remember telling everybody in our family, listen, I know you're going to be excited about this baby. I know you're going to want to help. But this is my child. This is Susan and I are having this baby. And, and we're going to be responsible. And we're going to take care of this child. And, and we, you know, we want you to be a part of his life. And we want you to help. And, and you know, it's, it's your grandchild. It's your um, nephew. It's, 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 but, but when we leave the hospital, we're going to take care responsibility for this child man oh man we were at the hospital and and I mean this is like the first day he's born I'm already thinking about like how are we going to line it up so somebody's with us all the time because man I was freaking out I was like I don't know I had never changed a diaper in my life I'd never it took us an hour to get the car seat in we didn't know what we were doing we had no clue but it was a moment that changed our lives forever and when we left that hospital I want you to I was begging people to go home with us I was willing to build an extra room onto the house if somebody would go home with us because I was freaking out so bad and and you know and even when the baby was asleep I was awake because I was standing there making sure it was breathing you know and and I still do, I mean, I still do that today. I walk in and just check on them and just look at them. And it's absolutely amazing. But what an awesome event that changes our life forever. If you had children, you know that it absolutely changes your life forever. And we've all had those moments. I want to share with you real quick. Um, we've got a testimony we want to share with you um, about somebody else who had one of those moments. My story started back at 14 I was going to a youth group here in Statesboro where I had found comfort. A few months after I started going there, a dear friend of mine committed suicide. There started my path to self-destruction. I turned my back on God. Why wasn't I home when he called me? I could have said something to stop it. Why would you let someone so young and full of life take their own life? Why didn't you stop it and protect him? Why could he not understand I needed my friend? My mood was dark and I lived in a state of depression. I talked to God only to try to make him see how devastated and alone he left me. By the time I was 15, I started cutting as a way to punish God and my parents. Testing him to save me, to intervene. Well, he did, but not in a way I had planned. My mother quickly caught on to the problem and put me into a rehab center to deal with these issues. So here began the long line of diagnoses. From depression, to bipolar, to anxiety, to Asperger's. All of which deep down I knew I didn't have. 
I was given to fits of anger, lashing out at whoever was there to help me. I resented my mom for thinking I had a problem and never seeing what the issue was. I felt alone. I had the perfect cheerleading straight-A little sister, which made me feel completely worthless. That nothing I'd do would compete with her. My A's dropped to C's. I did the bare minimum to get by. By the time I was 16, my mom had found a boarding school for children with ADD and other disorders of such. I spent my junior year in Tennessee with no family nearby, and I started to rebuild God's relationship in mind by the time I left there. I went back home to Georgia before summer was up, and my mother sent me to live with my father in Alabama. I wouldn't be able to graduate on time, so after a few months, I went back to Georgia. During that time, I made a variety of bad decisions. I was hanging out with a girlfriend and a friend of hers. He was particularly cute, and I thought nothing of him taking me home. In the process, though, I thought a kiss would stop at a kiss, but before I knew it, I was taken complete advantage of. I blamed myself for that incident, thinking I could have said no firmer or done something different. But in the end, I was damaged forever. God had left me again. He didn't stop what was happening when I couldn't find the strength to speak. So I went to my faithful journals that I'd kept for years and wrote the sordid details of the events. So with January came a new group of friends, all the party types. I went wild from drinking, staying out all weekend, and never seeing home unless I had to. I spent a month living with a friend on campus to escape my mom's accusatory glare. By April of 08, I did manage to get my GED. By July, I had met a guy that I thought was nice at my birthday party. We ended up dating, though it was short-lived. When the question of sex came up, I realized I was already damaged goods. One more won't hurt. Shortly after, though, the relationship fizzled. I knew in my heart that it would never work, and his immaturity got the better of me. For three months, I lived my party girl lifestyle. By the second month since the relationship had ended, I noticed my period had been absent. On September 18, 2008, I learned that I was going to be a mother. It didn't take two seconds for those lines to appear, and I literally lost control. I cried for weeks, hating the thing growing in me, hating God for stealing my youth. Why? Why me? Hadn't he done enough? Telling my mom was hard and the rest of the family harder. The baby's father didn't even seem to care. We tried to fix things that weren't fixable, and he wasn't ready to give up his fun. By the time December rolled around, though, the baby began to move. I just remember sitting on the couch and screaming. It was so amazing. He moved. This little thing isn't just a thing. He's alive. By February, we started Connection Church. It was the first place I'd been where I didn't feel judged. Everyone came over saying the kindest of words, and the first time in forever, I felt God's love, people's love, a church's love. By March of 09, I rededicated my life and made my own covenant with God that no matter how bumpy the road gets, I will stay on path for this child. In April of 2009, I went to the hospital to induce labor. As I laid on that table and looked at my mom, I had a strange feeling. Something bad was going to happen. Everything good in my life never lasts. In the process of the C-section, I noticed that the anesthesiast was panicking, saying, do I need to lay on her? And I kept telling him that I felt that. It was more than slight pressure. They doubled, tripled, quadrupled my morphine to stop the pain. Then I saw blood splatter. Mom later told me I drenched the floor. There was no cry right off. But then I heard it, and I couldn't believe it. It had taken 20 minutes for them to deliver him, and the drugs had me in another state. But that cry I strained to hear. It was perfect. So my son was born at 5 o'clock, April 7, 2009. It was two or three hours before I could see him. After they finally brought him to me, I refused to let anyone take him away. I was so scared of losing the greatest thing God had ever done for me. I had always prayed for God to send me someone who would love me unconditionally and someone who needed me. To end this long story, I found God in that tiny face. The road since has been long and hard. It's almost been a year now, and I continually see God in His eyes. The love I have for my son must have been what he had for his. To sacrifice that, to save us all, there is no greater love. I thank him for all my blessings, and now I know I couldn't have walked through these last few years without him. I know he is always with me, even when I least expect it. There is still a lot me and God is working on, but we're getting there. Well, God is good. Isn't it amazing how God can take things that... that seem like burdens that seem like um, accidents that seem like they are going to ruin our life and yet God takes them and somehow uses them to be such an awesome blessing to us and the fact that God would come to us 
people who have made so many mistakes and done so many things wrong and, and have literally uh, spit in his face, so to speak. And he comes and offers us this relationship with him through his son, through the sacrifice of his only son. You know, if you're here and, and you are one of those who've had a child, you know how much you love that child. Now, can you think about having to give that child up to save everybody else? I want to tell you today, I don't know that I could do that. I think if it were me, you'd all be in a lot of trouble because I don't think that I would have done that. And yet he is so good to us that he was willing to sacrifice that for us. I want you to hear this, and and some of you probably need to hear this very loud. There is no such thing as damaged goods to God. There is nobody that is beyond saving or beyond the reach of God. His arm's not too short to save anybody. Listen, if he can save me, he can save anybody. Amen. I want to tell you about a couple of guys this morning. Actually, three of them. I want to talk to you about Peter, Judas, and Paul. Three guys who um, we probably have different, different outlooks on each one of them because each one of them was so different. They all played such a different role in the life of Jesus and in, in the life of the kingdom of God while they were here on earth. But I want to talk to you about them because um, they probably could have looked at themselves as damaged goods also. In fact, I'm almost positive that they did. I mean, we think about the life of Judas. Come on now. How many of us have a real favorable opinion of Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus and gave him over to be crucified? Anybody has a favorable opinion nobody does because he's always the one that we spit at that we 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 want to kick him we we want to you know just be able to get our hands on how could you kill Christ how could you but you know the thing that I thought about this week is that we're not we're all kind of like Judas in a way we've all betrayed him we've all betrayed him in our own way you know it wasn't just Judas that put him on that cross but the sin that we all have in our lives is what put him on the cross so you and I had might as well have been the ones who put the crown of thorns on his head or drove the nails through his hands or, or drove the, the spike through his feet because each one of us in our own way have betrayed him. Maybe with an attitude, maybe with, with the things that we would prefer to do rather than giving our life to Christ. See, Judas's, Judas's encounter with Jesus changed him forever. And when you specifically look at Judas and Peter, his encounter with Jesus, their encounter with Christ changed everything for good. But it changed it forever in that sense of for good. He changed, it changed everything for good. As we say, you know, well, this is going to last. This is, this is done for good. It's finally finished. They, their lives were impacted. Their lives were changed for good. When you think about Peter, I mean, my goodness, we have a, a much higher... Um, I guess opinion of Peter because he went on to follow Christ and and to be one of his disciples one of his apostles you know he 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 went on wrote uh, some of the Bible and so we look on him totally different but you know Peter was a pretty big screw up himself if you really ever looked at the life of Peter this brother messed up a lot I mean, he did a lot of things that weren't bad. I mean, let's start off for one, like the whole walking on water thing. I'm sure it was cool and it was good, but can you just imagine Peter, the one who was always willing to push himself to the front of everything to be the best? You know, I want to, he was always the first one to speak as we looked at in uh, the gospel of Matthew. And he says, Jesus, you're the Christ. He was always kind of like me putting his foot in his mouth, those kind of things. And so when you look at it, Peter, he finally gets his opportunity. Jesus says, come to me, Peter, get out of the boat, walk to me. And he takes that first step. Don't you know that first step? was was intense and he steps out into the sea and he actually begins to walk on water but then what happened he sank how humiliating how 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 long was that swim back to the boat that's what i want to know in his mind it had to seem like eternity he's i mean he's just like dog paddling back to the boat and and he had to crawl back i mean how humiliating or how about the scripture that we read where Peter's there and he's looking at uh, Jesus and Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And he says, you're the Christ. Oh man, you're the Christ. You're, you're Jesus, the Christ. You're the Messiah. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, because this was not revealed to you by man, but by God. And can't you see Peter kind of fixing his shirt a little bit? He's getting, getting kind of proud. And Peter had to be so confused. He had to be so confused because like a few verses later, he tells Jesus, surely you won't go to the cross. Surely you won't die. This can't be, Lord. And Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. He just went from being Peter the rock to Satan. 
I mean, how many, that is just crazy how, how fast it changed and how Peter was always seeming to do the wrong thing. How he was always seeming to mess up and, and do the wrong thing. And then probably the, my favorite is this. You know, here Jesus is. He tells him he's going to be betrayed. Peter beats his chest and says, Lord, I'll die with you. I will die. I'll, I will go. I mean, if it takes my life, I will die with you. And Jesus says, Peter, let me tell you, before the rooster crows two times, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter's like, no, Lord, I am not. I will not do it. I promise. And they go and they're there and they come to arrest Jesus. And here, here he is. He's in the garden. And you know that in Peter's mind, this is my opportunity to prove to Jesus, I am going to stand with him. I will die with him. And so Peter sees his opportunity. They come up to arrest P- um, Jesus. And Peter says, pulls out his sword, cuts off the guy's ear. And certainly Jesus would have been approving of Peter's actions, right? No. Jesus bends over, picks up the ear, and slaps it back on the guy's head. (laughs) You almost have to feel sorry for Peter at this point. I mean, he's just screwing up left and right. And then Jesus' words became true. He says, listen, you're all, they're going to strike the shepherd and the sheep are going to scatter. And it, it really happened. It happened that they all scattered. They all betrayed him. See, the thing that we have in common with these two guys and with Paul is that we all started in the same place. We all started far away from God. We were all far away from him. We all betrayed him. We all nailed him to the cross. And here poor Peter is, and he just whacks the guy's ear off, and Jesus sticks it back on. How humiliating. But see, there was one major difference between Peter and Judas. There was something that Peter saw in Jesus that he was willing to follow him, even through the humiliation, even through all of the the mishaps and the the things that he made bad decisions and just looked like an idiot. There was something that made him, I'm going to follow him because he saw in Jesus the source of life. But then there was something about Judas that made him not, not see the same thing. He, he, he missed the boat. He, he made mistakes. But you know, Jesus' grace was big enough to cover him selling Jesus out. His grace would have covered that too. But instead of choosing the path of life, Judas chose death. And the Bible says that he literally, when he realized what he had done, he was filled with sorrow and he runs and he goes and hangs himself. It says that, that he, he kills himself. He commits suicide. Because of the sorrow. And yet don't you know that when, when Peter denied Jesus the third time, that rooster crows, he looks into the eyes of Christ. Don't you know the sorrow that he must have felt? And yet one chose life and one chose death. And see, I know this just because of the number of people that are in here. There are some of you who literally have thought of the option of trying physical death. I know that. I know that that is a very real thing. But you need to realize that Jesus is offering you life. No matter what you've done, where you've been, how low you think you might be today, right now, right where you sit in this place at like 1145, Jesus is offering you life through him. And all we need to do is begin to follow him and be willing to follow him. There are some of us who maybe that thought's never entered our mind and are like, wow, I can't even fathom doing something like that. But here's the truth of the matter is that some of us in here are living spiritually dead. Some of us right now have yet to truly experience life because we haven't given ourselves to the life giver. And some of us are, are living in this place where we've said, we've mentally ascended that Jesus is my Lord and he's my Savior, but we haven't fully enveloped ourselves in the relationship that Jesus offers. And in, in the, the abundant life that God wants us to have in him. And so we come to this place where we can easily find ourselves in the shoes of Judas or Peter. We come to a place today where you and I are forced to make a decision. See, there's no decision that you ever make that doesn't impact your future. None. Some impact it greatly. Some impact it just a little bit. A decision to have a child, that impacts it greatly. A decision to have Burger King over McDonald's probably doesn't make that big a difference. But today we are all faced, and every day of your life, we are faced with a decision of who am I going to live for? And what it brings us to is is this. I believe this. When you encounter the resurrection power of Jesus, everything changes. See, Peter, Peter was still a little unsure of himself. We know this even after he had seen the resurrected Christ. 
Because it says that when they saw Jesus that, that, that day in the upper room, they, he walks through the door, didn't open the door, walks through the door, that, that Peter gets up and he says, basically, okay, I'm going fishing. Now, he just saw a dead man walk through a door. And he goes fishing. There was something that still was there. There was something going on with Peter. He still hadn't got it. But then he goes and Jesus tells him, go and wait in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. Peter goes and he, he's there with all the other disciples and followers of Christ, about 120 of them. The Holy Spirit comes and fills them and changes their life forever. See, when we encounter the power of the resurrected Christ, when we encounter the power of the Holy Spirit, when it comes into our lives and begins to fill us, everything changes for good. So many times you hear about people who sort of give their life to Christ and it lasts for about six months and then it kind of goes away. Listen, I did the same thing. But when I found the love of God, when I quit looking at God as being some big dictator guy with a big white beard sitting on a big throne with a big hand that he just wanted to whack me with, and I really realized that God loves me. That as far as I had run from God, God loves me. It changed my life forever. It changed my life forever. Never to be the same. And I say that. I, I believe that with my whole, never to be the same. Is it because I'm better than anybody else? No, it's because Jesus is that good. He is that real and he is that good in my life that he can take the worst of sinners and make them whole and make them clean. And bring them into a relationship and a fellowship with himself, with God the Father. That's how good he is. And so we come to this place of recognizing ourselves in both Judas and Peter. We've all betrayed him. But today, what is your decision going to be? Are you going to choose to go the route of life? Are you going to allow God to come into your life so that you can encounter him in a way that changes you forever for good? For good forever? Or are we going to just live in this place where I'll just, I'll just continue on my own path? Because I can tell you this right now. If you live on your own path, it's fine. And it may work out. It may not, but it's a path that leads to destruction. We in and of ourselves will destroy ourselves if we're left to ourselves. I think if you look at the world around us right now, you'll see that. See, I find myself being very similar to Peter. Because I, I get excited about things. I get all yeah, like geeked up, you know. I get, I get real excited and, and, I, and I say things and I, and I always want to do it. And, and I was thinking the other day, you know, my son Dake, he's seven. And, and he, uh, he's got so much energy. And, and the thing about Dake is if there are people wrestling on the floor, he brings it to a whole nother level. You know what I'm saying? If there are people playing tackle football in the yard, Dake brings it to a whole nother level. And I mean, and, and sometimes I'm like, why does he, I'll tell Susan, like, why does he have to just take things overboard? And then one day I was riding, I was literally praying about this. I was like, God, why does he do that? And it's like, God just put in my heart, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. <laughs> and I started thinking about that. And I was like, you know, God, I, I, you're kind of right. And there are times when I put my foot in my mouth, I say things I shouldn't, I take things over the top. But I want you to know that's how I want to be with God. That's how I want to be with Jesus. I want to take it over the top. I want to take it to another level with God. Would you see, I don't think we have but begun to tap into everything that God has for us. I mean, he, he, he's got so much that he wants to do in and through us and in our lives. And I don't care where you are, what you've been through. God's desire is to use you in incredible, awesome ways. And people always say, well, you know, you can't be, uh, you can't go overboard with it. Because if you do that, then, you know, you'll be so spiritually minded that you won't be any earthly good. And, you know, if you do that. And, and, but, you know, when I look around, my thing is, what I see most is not the fact that the world has too much God. It's that we don't have enough. The problems in our world in the United States are not due to the fact that we're all just overzealous for God. It's because there's not enough God. And we need to get to a place where we are willing to step into all that God died for us to have. It's an opportunity to encounter the very real living presence of God who comes to us through Jesus Christ. What an awesome opportunity that God did something for us we can never do for ourselves. Right? I can tell you're excited. It's good. All right. I want to look real quick over at the Philippians because now I want to turn our attention to Paul because see, Paul is a guy who God, Jesus changed his life. His encounter with Christ changed his life for good. But looking at it this time, he changed his life for better. 
Okay? He changed his life for the better. But Paul was probably the most unlikely character in the Bible to have this encounter with God. Because, see, Paul was... If Paul walked through the doors right now before his conversion, we would all run, okay? I don't care how big and bad you are, we would run, right? I don't care if you play football for Georgia, you would run. Because Paul, his greatest joy in life was to kill Christians or take them and put them in prison. And so here Paul is living this life. And when we look at Philippians 3, it's absolutely amazing because Paul basically, to refute the fact that we could save ourselves, Paul basically begins to tell everybody, listen, you can't save yourself. I don't care how good you think you are. And Paul begins to throw out all of his credentials. Have you ever met somebody like they like to just tell you everything they had and, and who they are and what else? You're going, yeah, 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 yeah. And you're thinking, if, if they will hush for five, I'm out of here. But they never will. And so, but here's Paul and he's, he's there and he begins to tell them, listen, if you think you've got reasons to think you're something, then listen to this. And he goes on and he says, them, first of all, he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. See, here's the thing with Paul and see if we can put ourselves in this situation a little bit. But here's the thing with Paul. Paul, Paul recognized the fact that he was playing the game well. He did all the religious things. Does that make sense? He was doing the religious things. He was, he was sort of fitting in with the right crowd. He, was, he had the appearance of, of uh, godliness, you know. And he was in the Jews in Jerusalem. Boy, he was something to be reckoned with. And so he was playing all the religious games. And he thought that that was what was going to justify him before God. But he says, so I was circumcised on the eighth day. He was doing the traditional things, going through all the motions. And yet he was missing God. It goes on and it says... He was um, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Listen, he was from the right pedigree. I mean, he was even, his lineage was good. You know, you go by a Labrador retriever and you look back at all the, the, the parents. So they, and he's saying, man, I was even from good stock. You know, I, I was even from the right folks. I was from the tribe of Benjamin. I was, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was as Jewish as you could get. And he's saying, I had it going. And, and he was very proud of this and, at one point in his life. It goes on and it says, in regard to the law, he was a Pharisee. Listen, Paul was like, anybody follow baseball in here much? Some folks. If you follow the Atlanta Braves, they've got this kid named Jason Hayward. He is like the the savior of the Atlanta Braves, so to speak. I mean, people think that this kid is going to be the best thing ever since, you know, like, Hank Aaron or something, you know, they they just really think this guy is going to be huge. And if you see him, he is, his shoulders like this wide. You know, I would not want to be standing, you know, 60 feet from him throwing a little ball at him knowing he's hitting it back my way. But he is, he is the biggest thing in baseball, the number one baseball prospect in the world. That'd be pretty awesome, especially when they pay you the kind of money they pay you to be the number one baseball prospect in the world. But he, I mean, here, here he is. That would have been Paul. Right? Paul would have been like on the cover of like Pharisee Illustrated or something. (laughs) He would have been there, you know, he'd have had his big like uh, robe on and his, his, his Torah and he would have been there. And I mean, it would have been a big deal. Everybody would have been talking about Paul. Man, you ought to hear this guy quote some scripture. This dude, he's off the chain, man. He can quote scripture like nobody you've ever seen. You ought to hear, you know, and, and, and so he was just in this place where he was the up and comer. He was the big, the big man on campus, so to speak. I mean, he, he, he was even trained by the right guy. There was a guy named Gamaliel who trained him. And, and it would have been like being trained by Bobby Cox, you know, the coach of the Braves, or, or having studied under some great, brilliant mind. And, and, and so he was even trained by the right people. Everything that Paul needed was, was happening. I mean, it, he, his future was bright, you know. He, was, he had it made. There was nothing that he seemed to lack and then it goes on, it says, as for zeal, persecuting the church. How many of you want to do something in your life, with your life, that you absolutely love? Where you could wake up every morning and just go, man, I love my job. Thank you, God, that I get to do this every day. We all do. Well, Paul was doing that. He loved to persecute the church. And every morning that he got up, he had that opportunity. He would go and get letters from the rulers of the time. And he would, he would go and they would, he would take them and imprison them and and. And Paul, I mean, he hated Christians. And every day he got, to got up, he got to get up and kill them and persecute them. He was even there when Stephen, who the Bible says had a face like an angel, you know, and, and he had a face like an angel and was powerful and full of the Holy Spirit. And it says that when, uh, when they, 
ended up stoning Stephen because basically he called all the, the religious people out and said, listen, you're missing the boat. And so they get mad and they stone him. It says that when they did that, Paul was standing there and the people who were stoning him, they put their clothes at his feet. Like, so I guess somebody wouldn't come out and get them. I don't know why, but they, I guess so nobody would take them. And so they're sitting there stoning. It says that Paul was giving approval. This innocent young man said they had the face of an angel and Paul is standing. I, I spit at you. I'm sorry. But Paul was, had the, it, Paul was giving approval to the killing of this young man. How amazing is that? That he would stand there and approve of his death. And yet this was the thing that got Paul more excited than anything. It goes on and says, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. How about that? Can you imagine Paul? I mean, you could just see him. He knew that he was the Mac Daddy of Pharisees. I mean, he was the big dog in the Pharisaical world. And so here he is, and, and he could look down his nose, literally, at everybody that came by. Sounds kind of like the church. We can beat our chest and sound so righteous, and we can look down our nose at everybody else that comes by. I want to tell you, that's time for that to change. And that may be another sermon for another time. But I'm going to throw that little tidbit in there. You can think about that. But Paul, you could almost sense the pride that he had in his abilities, in his, his, uh, his own um, abilities to do things for God. He would have been the one who says, sit back, God, and watch me. Sit back and watch me work, God, because I'm going to blow you away. That would have been Paul in his life looking at that. But see, here's what happened. This is so funny that Paul, going to do the very thing that he loved to do the most, the thing that he thought was, was, was better than, than, you know, um, I don't know, than eating uh, a big slice of chocolate cake. I mean, he loved this. You know, it was, it's the thing that he loved more than anything else. Whatever it is you love the most, put this in his place. He was going to go get some Christians. But on his way to Damascus, he has an encounter with Jesus Christ. That totally messed him up. For one, he went blind. But two, he had an encounter where he realized that the one he had been persecuting, the one he had been chasing, was the very real God. The one that he had been wanting to know all of his life, he found out was the one that he was persecuting. The peoples who was, were following him, those were the ones he was going to kill. And you have like an oh my gosh moment. Or you're just, oh, oh, how bad did he screw up? I mean, he was killing the people of God. And God says, listen, you know, he, he brings him in. He shows him his grace, his love. And he says, listen, I'm going to use you in incredible ways. It's going to cost you a lot, but I'm going to use you in incredible ways. See, it cost Paul everything. All of that stuff that he had deemed so important, it cost him all of it. It changed his life. And see, the thing we have to realize is that everything changed for good. Because listen to the rest of this verse. It says, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Basically, he's saying, listen, all that stuff that I thought was going to do something awesome for me, I found out it's rubbish. That word rubbish, literally translated, means dung. It means poo, crap. I can actually say crap this time, and it actually refers back to the actual meaning of the Greek word. But it, it, it does, it means, it, he says, I consider all of these great things that I thought were justifying me, making me righteous, making me whole, giving me meaning. All of that stuff I consider worthless for knowing the glory of Christ. He's saying I would gladly give it all up just to know him, just to know what I know now. He says, I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't have it any other way because instead of just playing a religious game, God became personal to him. 
See, there's this place in life where we so many times try to live our lives with this religious mindset of who Jesus is. But Jesus has got to become personal. You need to hear him speak to your heart. You need to know that through the power of the Holy Spirit, he's very real. And Jesus says himself that he knocks on the door of our hearts and he wants to know us in that intimate way. And some of us have probably been feeling that in our own lives, this knocking, this calling to a deeper relationship with God. And we need to realize that it comes through Christ. We can't find that any other way. And we can't live off of some religious mindset that tells us who God is. We need to know Him. We need to know Him. And He, he said, you know, that... that uh, He was so great because he was born of the family of Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin. But you know what Paul learned is that it's better to be born into the family of God. That this right here is what God is about. That God desires us to come and know one another. That he desires us to be connected to God and to each other. That that's what he really wants us to. To find. See, listen, God impacted his life. He encountered Jesus in such an awesome and real way that he was changed forever. All of that stuff that he thought was going to bring him happiness, all of the accolades, all of the everything. I mean, all of it. Being the Pharisee of Pharisees, being a Hebrew of Hebrews, he found that none of it meant anything once he encountered the reality of God. And see, some of us are living in a place where we chose spiritual death just because, and we're not living, really living, because we wonder if the things we're going to give up are going to be worth what we gain. I will tell you this, Jesus Christ, God, he will not be a debtor to anyone. He will not let you give more than he gives. What you find in Christ is always worth more than what you give up. See, we've had it wrong for so long where we want to throw out a list of do's and a list of don'ts and we all end up frustrated because we can't follow them. That's not what God called us to in the first place. He called us to a relationship with himself, with Jesus Christ, and with the power of the Holy Spirit that comes in and changes our life forever. That's what God wants us to have. He wants everything to change for good. But this is what I've found, that there are two reasons that we don't want to change. The first is because we realize that most change is permanent. A lot of, I mean, every decision we make changes our life forever in some way, right? And so we don't, that's why guys don't want to give the ring. It's because it is permanent. It is a commitment. And we don't want to do that. It's why having a child is so scary at times. Because it is permanent. It's not like you can just go get in line at Walmart and say, I'd like to return this. <laughs> it's permanent. And so change scares us so much because we know that it's permanent. The other reason that change scares us so much is because we don't know if the decision to change is going to be better than the way we're living right now. Is that not true? I mean, think about it. If you were supposed to move to Atlanta or uh, Minnesota or California or wherever it might be that you're supposed to move, if you knew when you got there that it was going to be better than what you left behind, you wouldn't have a whole lot of fear in leaving, would you? But there is always that thought of what if what I leave behind is so much better than what I'm going to find? And that's not the case with God. I say this all the time, but you got to hear this. You will not get to be 80 years old and look back on your life and go, why did I live for God? <laughs> why? Why did I waste 70 years of my life, 40 years of my life, 30 years of my life living for God? You're not going to do that. I can guarantee it. Because God is always better than our own way. And we need to hear that today. We need to understand that you cannot give up more than what God's going to give you. He's going to bless you by knowing Him and the, just the knowledge of Christ is worth more than anything in the world. It's worth more than anything you can possibly gain. I'm not telling you He's going to give you a mansion on the hill. I'm, going to tell you, I'm telling you He's going to give you more love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control than you could ever imagine. Because that is who He is. And He simply wants you to come and be a part of His, his kingdom.
of this awesome relationship that he's offering to each one of us. So many of us have tried things on our own for so long and it hasn't worked. Maybe it's time to try things God's way because I guarantee you you won't regret that decision. When you come full headlong into an encounter with Jesus Christ, it will change you and it will change you forever. I want to tell you something pretty cool from me. Maybe it'll mean something to you. Uh, April 1st, coming up pretty quick. I don't know what the significance of this day being April Fool's Day has to do with my life, but April 1st will be 10 years that I have been living and, and, and trying to passionately pursue Jesus Christ. It's not something that I've done perfectly. None of us are perfect. We've all uh, sin fallen short of the glory of God. We've all made mistakes. But I want you to know, April 1st will be 10 years. It's like my first decade living for God. Now, you know, uh, and now, and see, I hope that like in, in, in 50, I can stand and go, this is my sixth decade living for God. And, and you can be like clapping then, you know. Um, but and, well, some of you won't be there, but I hope that, that a, lot of you, a lot of you will. And, and it'll be a joyous time. But as I think about that, I think about all the things and, and the change in my life that's happened. I, and I say this, listen, please don't hear this as me patting me on the back because I know, listen, I know who I am apart from God. I know. It seems like yesterday, I know who I am without Jesus Christ in my life. But God has totally changed my life. Listen, I, this is kind of funny. I make less money right now than I've ever made in my life since I graduated college. But you know, I got more happiness in my life today. I got more joy in my life today. There are things in my life that I would have missed, including probably my wife and my kids, had I not started living for God. And I think about all the things I gave up, the partying, the drinking, all of that kind of stuff. And I think about some of the friends that I lost because they didn't want to hang out with some guy following Jesus. But you know, I'd give it all up again and again and again because I have found something that no one can take away. I have found a joy and a peace that when I will hit my knees and stay centered in Christ, nobody can take from me. And that's what God wants you to have. For some of you, it might be a call into a deeper place with God. For some of you, it might be just finally standing up and saying, you know, I'm sick of this crap. I'm just tired of being tired. Have you ever just laid in bed and said, God, I'm just tired of being tired. And you need to try it God's way, through Christ. That's what he's calling us to. He wants us to know him in that way. He wants us to be able to walk in the freedom of being his follower and his child. That's what he's offering to us. It's an encounter with him. A decision to accept what he's doing. See, some of you, it's a decision, it's a choice because he's been knocking and you've been ignoring. And today is time maybe for you to open up your heart and encounter God.